Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of having Mark Mawini. Did I get it right? You got her. Good job. <laughs> Brilliant. And so you run an organization called Natural Born Coaches. When I first read it, I thought it was that movie, Natural Born Killers, but no, Coaches. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's a funny story. It's funny you mentioned Oliver Stone's movie there because when I was deciding on the name for my business and my podcast and stuff, uh, I wanted my keyword coach, coaching, coaches in there because that's who I service. So what I decided to do was, uh, to make a long story short, I ended up uh, grabbing the top, first of all, mu- uh, music, like songs for the last like 20 years before this. Nice. This is 2014. And I was inserting those keywords into song titles and band names. So I, I would insert, for example, I thank God I didn't go with this. Uh, not, uh, it was uh, New Coaches on the Block was one of them that I had. <laughs> I, I you did that yeah, I've let go of the domain. So feel free to rush over and grab it. Maybe it's still available. Uh, but nothing worked for music. So that, <laughs> 10 minutes ago to go, Daddy. Uh, so th- uh, nothing worked for music and band and stuff so i went to movies started in 2014 and went down to all the top you know 100 movies of every year nothing was working i get back down to what was it 1994 or whenever that movie was released natural born coaches i'm like oh wait so then i end up doing what's uh, the most nerve-wracking 20 seconds of any entrepreneur's life is when he goes to GoDaddy or whichever host oh, yeah. punches his in and says oh god please be open and available fingers, yeah. <laughs> luckily it was i grabbed it and that's the story how i came up with the name for for the business Brilliant. So everybody uh, that I know is a coach at some form. They coach with their kids, maybe not effective coaches, but they're coaches. And some people opt to do this for a living. And it seems like such a noble calling. I'm going to help people do better in their lives. And then they sit there for the internet to ring or the phone to ring and they starve. And you help them not do that. So tell me about a particular person that came to you that was struggling and how you help them get to the other side where they're actually running a, a business and more importantly, helping a lot more people. Uh, I could uh, take that tagline. I help coaches not starve. I like it. It just gets down to the, you know, uh, not Do you want to go to GoDaddy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I often say you can't coach on an empty stomach. So I think you make a really good point. If you've got bill collectors calling and stuff like that, you're not going to be in the best frame of mind to help um, a client. So, uh, I mean, the coaches I've helped have gone anywhere. They've been aspiring coaches, just getting started. Uh, Sometimes during the first couple of years, they've had some clients, but not the traction that they want. Or sometimes it's someone that's been in it five years, eight years and wants a fresh start. They're maybe tired of their niche. They want to rejig things or whatever. Um, There's one coach I know in uh, particular, and I think this highlights an important point. Uh, When we started working together one-on-one, she had a a nine to five job. Now, a lot of people would say you got to burn the ships, right? If you, and you got to go in, March oh, yeah, and burn the boats, 
tell your boss to go shove it. You got to do the Jerry Maguire thing when Tom Cruise rolled up his sleeves and said, you know, took the goldfish and who's with me. And Renee Zellweger was the only one in the office that left with him. I'm not really a fan of that approach because if you go in and tell your boss to shove it, all of a sudden you need to get a client tomorrow to eat or pay the bills. You're going to be taking on some people you don't want to work with, or you just, it's not good. So Absolutely. With and to add to that, you never know that that past employer could be a great source of clients. Yep, that's right. Exactly. So uh, this client in particular, uh, I she kept her job uh, for six months. And actually, it's funny you made that point because they end up becoming a client of hers. Eventually, she went and did some workshops and some trainings and stuff like that, too. But by giving by doing that, she gave herself a runway uh, for us to work together. She wasn't stressed out. She did very well. And then she's able to give notice in six months, move on. And I kind of did the same thing with my coaching business. So in a nutshell, uh, I was in real estate for about a decade throughout my 20s, build up a nice. really big real estate business. Everything was going great at 100 agents and employees. Nothing could go wrong. And then bang, 2009, everything collapsed. Bang. You know, yeah. And I, I went through a rough period of a couple of years where I was you know, trying to get back on my feet. And I'm like, what the heck happened? Every, before everything I touched turned to gold. Now everything I touched turned to shit. Um, so uh, what I decided to do was actually get help from coaches and mentors. And so that's how I was really introduced to coaching. Uh, but when I started my coaching business in early 2014, I kept my, I had a sales gig with a telecommunications company here in mm -hmm. Canada. Great position. I worked from home. There was two of us in the whole province. Our manager was hours away, didn't bug us, super independent and flexible. Wasn't my passion though. I knew it wasn't going to be my lifetime thing, but if I kept that position for it about afforded you the ability to get the other business up and running. It, it did, yeah, I kept it for about 11 months. So it was, my goal was to be out within a year. And I think it was 11 months that I gave notice. And uh, it allowed me to pay the bills and stuff, but then also gave me some flexibility work on my coaching. And I still had plenty of time. So uh, yeah, you, you don't need 80 hours a week to build a coaching business if you're productive and disciplined. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I work 100 hours a week. Well, if you were watching them with a notepad following them around their whole day, are they working you know that many hours? Probably They're running not. to the kitchen getting water yeah, so uh, playing angry birds or candy crushed or screwing around on youtube and stuff they're not actually working so i say you could build a, a successful coaching business part-time uh, with full-time commitment brilliant so mark you said you had some coaches as you were going down this path tell me about a particular time where a coach gave you this really good piece of advice and for whatever crazy reason you did not want to believe it and you fought the coach on no, I, this doesn't make sense. Did you have one of those moments where you finally had to struggle through that inertia? Because oftentimes coaches tell you things that are important, but inside it's like, but you don't understand. Did you have one of those moments? I had a pre moment, I'll say. Uh, so when my coaching business was flying high, everything was going great. This was probably roughly 2006 ish. I didn't even know coaches were a coach came into my local real estate office and he wanted me to work with him. He wanted me to hire him and me and I didn't say this, but in my mind, I'm thinking like, look at what I built. Do I look like I need a coach? Oh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I got this covered. Uh, my business closed several years later and I thought, wow, I, I really wish I would have listened to him a little more. Maybe things wouldn't have closed or would have, wouldn't have been as messy with the closure. So I always remember that story. And that's why I think my coaching business has done well. Cause I learned my lesson. It was a very, uh, a million dollars mistake or you know lesson I learned, but I think it was valuable to learn it. What's interesting is uh, sometimes the coach doesn't even have to have expertise in your space. Just by inquiring through questions, 
people get their own epiphanies and go, oh, holy crap, I never thought of that. Yeah, exactly. So the question gets asked, <clears throat> excuse me, all the time in my Facebook group is, do you have to have done what you're now coaching on, right? And I always use the analogy with some of the best baseball managers uh, never weren't very good players. You know, you look at Joe Torrey, he was okay, uh, but he did very well with the Yankees managing years later. So uh, same thing, Tiger Woods has different coaches and stuff. They maybe couldn't drive a ball past 100 yards, but they at least know what they're doing. And uh, I think that makes a really good point. You don't need to have that. Yeah. And the flip side of the coin is you could get somebody like Tiger Woods who may actually be a brilliant coach, but there's a really good chance he might not be. Exactly. Yeah. Well, look at um, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, not to knock him that I'll get uh, booted out of Canada for criticizing Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Gretzky was best player, hockey player of all time. You know, I think most people would agree with that. His post career hasn't been great, you know, with Phoenix and other things when he tried different coaching and management. Uh, Same thing with Michael Jordan, you know, with basketball. So it doesn't always translate that the best players become the best coaches or managers afterwards. So you have this colossal Facebook group. Uh, how many people in it? We just passed 20,000 a couple of days ago. So I think we're at 20,100 and some right now. Yeah. So that's probably a really good pool of potential clients for you. It is. Yeah. That's where most of my clients and customers probably come from. The big three pillars I have, I say for my business, the Facebook group, uh, there's the po- uh, podcasting. So there's my show, but also going out on shows like this, what we're doing now. And then the third is daily emails. I've been sending daily emails to my list since 2016. So that's where most of my clients are coming from. One of those three buckets. Brilliant. So how do you grow a Facebook group? Uh, Because you're building community. And, you know, in the past, Facebook groups were, were nice. But since COVID, they've become essential, right? People are longing for that connection. So how did you nurture that group? How do you feed it? How often do you touch it? Uh, that's a tough question to answer quickly. <laughs> I, I have a program around it, so I talk for hours about it. But um, I mean, a, f- a few things I would say is if you're not active in your group, then why should anyone else be? So I show up every single day. I've never missed a day. I also encourage people to uh, engage. So for example, someone asks a question, I'm like, man, Omar would be great for this. So I'll tag you in, right, to bring you into the conversation. A lot of group owners don't do that because they say, well, gee, I don't want to lose any potential clients by bringing in someone else. i view it more collaboration than competition. So I think that's where the group's done well is Absolutely. that way. Yeah. It's, so let's talk about that mindset, uh, that mindset of uh, it's my potential client. I've got to hold on to them. I can't introduce them to anybody else. Uh, so tell me about somebody that uh, I'm sure somebody you coached had that. How did you coax them out of that kind of limited thinking to, hey, this seven point some odd billion people on the planet, you got plenty of customers. Uh, and so tell me about one of those. Well, uh, I've, I've used that example before, uh, for almost 8 billion people on the planet, you need very few of those 8 billion, say 10, you know, or maybe even fewer, if you're charging more of out of 8 billion to build a successful coaching business or any other business in a lot of cases. So, um, I've had, um, well, I've had, uh, uh, people, for example, who, uh, clients of mine who are launching podcasts that are like, well, I'd like to do an interview based one, but I don't want to bring competitors on there. And they, people said that to me too, when I launched natural born coach, like, Oh, Mark, you're giving a platform to your competition. I'm like, this isn't Coke, Pepsi type thing, you know, um, it, it improves the quality of my show or my Facebook group when I bring uh, good people on there. So, uh, I've had to run into, that not with every single client, but it's certainly happened quite a bit where people are just um, being a little too tight with, you know, they want to 
pee on the customer and put their scent on them and no one else can talk to them or the prospect. And it's not a good way to look at it. It's a very lack or limited way of thinking. I, I prefer to think more abundantly. And I think oftentimes, you know, if you're introducing people to great resources, if they decide to go a different direction than you, uh, there's an element of, uh, man, if you would have gotten them as a client, they may not have been a good client to begin with in the first place. Yeah, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, so I can't work with 20,000 people, even if I want to. Uh, some people, maybe they hate Canadians. Uh, they don't like my sense of humor. I have a weird, dry sense of humor. You have a sense of humor? humor? I yeah, have a- I do. Go figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what's kind, of, good. what's kind of interesting is uh, I married a Yank and moved to the uh, States in 91. And uh, it took me a while to stop drinking tea and be a coffee drinker. Uh, and uh, the, the shocking part was one day out of my mouth, this came out. It was the letter Z. Mm. <laughs> In Canada, of course, we say Z. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I'm, it's funny. I'm very Americanized because most of my clients are in the States, you know, 90 some percent. So I th- say things like niche as opposed to niche. You know, a lot of Canadians know yeah. we're so fancy saying niche or whatever. I'm, I'm niche. It's all potato, potato, but uh, yeah. It is. So tell me about uh, what is the difference between Canadians and Americans as you're coaching them? Do you find like there's a difference between your Canadian clients and American clients? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I find, uh, you know what Canadians are like, because you're from here, uh, we're a little more perhaps reserved or uh, hesitant to promote. Uh, So me, I think I was born in the wrong country. I love America's entrepreneurial spirit. I love that whole American dream. I love promotion. And uh, a lot of people for Canada, I know, think that, oh, well, I can't talk about a client result or can't post a testimonial or I'm going to sound like Donald Trump on his Twitter feed or something like that. They're going to think you're promoting too much and I have to get them to blow their own horn. Now, that's a generalization because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Canadians are so polite and all this and Americans are rude and crass. There are plenty of rude, idiotic Canadians and plenty of lovely Americans and stuff too. So I don't buy into all that, but I do think with um, Canadian clients, I found this in the UK too, actually, that um, when I've had UK clients, like, well, I can't promote like that. Like they're holding back a bit compared oh, yeah. to the States. And Step I up a little be, chap. be more American. There's a reason why America is a world leader and done so much with business and inventions, everything else is because it has that drive. So I don't think it's a bad thing to say, be more American. Yeah. Oh, when I was in Canada, what I noticed was that it took longer to close deals in Canada. And sometimes the deal was never going to close, but they were too polite to tell you. <laughs> yeah. And in America, it was like, yes, no, or... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, well, I would uh, much rather have a quick no than a maybe. Like it's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. A, a maybe and you're chasing for six months following up. I can appreciate someone that's, hey, look, uh, thanks, Mark, for the offer, but it's not for me. And this is why I have a great, you know, move on. Okay. That's Brilliant. great. I would prefer So here's that. a joke. Mark, do you know the difference between Canadians and Americans? Let me tell you. When you ask an American, who are you? They say, I'm an American. When you ask Canadians, who are you? They go, we're not Americans. <laughs> that's our that's our national identity. We're not them. It is so, frustrating online because you hear the joke, oh, we feel like we're the apartment above the math lab, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, God, I, I do think a lot of Americans are too rough on their country. I'm like, man, you guys have a great country. Be proud of it. Actually, what's kind of interesting is there's a disconnect between uh, the government and its policies and the people. Uh, I was listening to this interview. It was a 60 Minutes interview, and they had uh, uh, this person had gone to uh, Iran. And when they came back, uh, the host had asked them, like, uh, don't they hate us over there? 
He says, no, I went there. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's so nice to see an American again. And uh, people are just like us. All they want is a better future for their kids, three squares a day, and justice. Yeah, Give people that and nobody goes to the streets with pitchforks. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, there was a joke I heard speaking out of, uh, yeah, a Canadian asks, uh, Canadian asks, uh, what was a uh, Titanic uh, about? And uh, the American says, yeah, it was about, you know, instead of what was in Titanic about the movie Titanic. Yeah. About, uh, yeah. About boat and all that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so you're working with coaches and you probably say some crazy stuff, Mark, like you're not charging enough. And the person goes, I could never do that. So take me through the relationship of money and human beings. How do you get people to really realize their value? And then more importantly, feel comfortable talking about it. Uh, There are a lot of, not just coaches, I think this is humans in general, but coaches have some weird feelings around money and you could just tell. So for example, back in 2015, I hosted a summit to help coaches increase their fees, just exactly what we're talking about. Um, Yes. Uh, The summit was (laughs) <laughs> the the command higher coaching fees summit very original title but i did have um coaches in various communities and things where i was promoting it were saying things like well that that's not right coaching isn't about uh charging you know making a lot of money you know it's about serving people and there's this discussion in my facebook group yesterday and everyone's painting me like oh geez he's like worse than gordon gecko jr ewing and hitler combined or something i i find there are a lot of what i call mother Teresa coaches and they mm-hmm. think you can't be charging or charge very little. You got to be coaching barefoot in a village somewhere far off and serving the people. And it's just a bad way to look um, about it. Man, we're saying about a lot in this interview. It must be because you mentioned it. I um, jinxed you. Yeah, <laughs> you did. So I always say the toughest person to convince for charging more is, uh, isn't anyone out there. It's the man or the woman in the mirror. If you're convinced that you're worth every penny of whatever you're charging, $5,000, $10,000, whatever the rest are, I won't say a breeze, but it's certainly a lot easier. If you're hesitating and you get into that part of the conversation with the prospect, well, how much, what does it look like to work together? How much is it? And you hesitate, hesitate just a little bit, they'll pick up on that. Well, absolutely. The energy of it. Yeah. So just going back to your mother, Teresa comment, people have an illusion of what other people are like. She was a badass woman. So she would take money from like criminals. (laughs) And then people would say, how can you take money from these thugs to feed the poor? And she said, money's money. And if this is going to do good, we're going to do good. And she was never shy about saying, hey, Give me the money. And uh, what's kind of interesting is I I do this exercise sometimes with uh, groups. It's like, I'm going to suggest your annual income. We're going to start low at $10,000 a year, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 300, 500, a million, 5 million, 10 million, 10 million. And I ask people to pay attention what it feels like and what thoughts come up. And when the numbers are lower, oftentimes people get this uh, reaction of, not me. Some people get angry. When I get to kind of what they're earning right now, they say, well, it felt okay. Mm. What was it like when I went beyond what you earned? Uh, it felt exciting. What was it like when I went way beyond that? Then it's like, it was terrifying. I was thinking, I'll be working all the time. My kid's going to turn to drugs. And it's all that <laughs> hang up around money dictates how we show up. And even if we go, uh, that'll be $10,000, it comes from the beliefs around money you know, deeply lodged within us. 
Yeah. Uh, every person has that internal thermostat, right? That, not, no, absolutely. that certainly isn't a unique thought. Other people have talked about it. I've seen um, uh, coaches, for example, there was a guest on my show a few years back who struggled with poverty as a kid growing up. She, they, her family was always getting the power shut off. They didn't have money for groceries. They had to depend on the kindness of others. Uh, now she's a successful coach. She's making multi six figures, even though she's doing that, making you know good money uh, compared to the average person out there. She still has that fear, like she's um, paying her power bill, you know, instantly when it comes in, and she, she's always looking over her shoulder. And she said it's because her thermostat was set so low uh, for many years, and she struggled. And uh, I think it's very, it's like an iceberg. There's underneath the water, you don't see it yes. necessarily, but it's there. And so it kind of brings me to a, a thought that, uh, at least Umar's worldview, uh, people have uh, an image they show the outside world. And the image sometimes is, look at me, I'm pretty, or smart, or amazing. Or it could be a look at me, I'm broken, I'm worthless. But that is uh, an illusion. Then they have something uh, that I call the delusion, who they think they are. And then there's the actual person deep inside. You kind of thoughts on that and how do you kind of bring that to your coaching conversations with coaches? Because the most successful coaches, uh, at least this is my illusion, are the ones that are authentically powerful in who they are. Yeah, exactly. That's funny you say authentic because I um, I agree with that. I do find that coaches mess up the authenticity things. Sometimes they go a little too far. And this goes into what you mentioned with people seeing themselves as a victim. So there's some coaches I've seen online that uh, I'm all for keeping it real, being open, being interesting and stuff like that. They're a little too far. So I've, I saw one, for example, had a very public, uh, messy divorce with her husband or ex-husband. Every day she was posting um, images, scanned images of the paperwork. She was talking about how he had cheated on her. He gave her an STD. Uh, she's burning his clothes, all this other stuff. Now, she's getting a ton of engagement because it was like people craning their necks with a car accident or watching a dumpster fire. Uh, but was it helping her business? No, I don't think. And, or the the other one I see is a coach uh, a few years back. She apparently helped people reach seven figures in her business. She literally shared a screenshot one day of her bank account. It was like $18.42. And I'm like, geez. And she tried to turn it into, you know what, I've been down before and I'll make it back. I'm a badass, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, she got a lot of you go girl, got a lot of engagement, but is anyone going to be whipping out their wallet to hire someone like they don't that's a bit more pity but it doesn't mean it's going to grow her business so i'm all for being authentic but also don't use pity as uh, or victim absolutely and i think going back to the example of uh the gal that was getting divorced you know had she come and said look uh i'm going through this divorce and i'm doubting myself and i'm scared as hell but I'm going to get over it. Like that kind of authenticism. Uh, I made that word up by the way, yeah, uh, yeah. allows it connects with the humanity in other people. But when it's like uh, uh, all that fear and anger and resentment, it, it detracts. And I think there's a something to be said for speaking the truth where I've seen people like I was at a wedding, uh, you know, before COVID and the priest that came up was said, you know, somebody else was supposed to do this. They couldn't. So I'm doing this wedding. And I just want you to know that I just uh, graduated from seminary school a month ago. And this is my first wedding. And <laughs> yeah. 300 people in the audience were like clapping. Yep. All right. And uh, he just connected with the audience because it was, you know, hey, this is new for me. And he did a phenomenal job. And had he not done it, just kept it secret. In some way, I think he would have robbed power from himself. 
yeah. having that doubt when you reveal, you know, hey, uh, by the way, Mark, I have no money right now, but I want to talk to you. And it's like, okay, the pressure's off. Yeah. And then we have an authentic thing. But if I keep up a facade, oh, yeah, my business is going fantastic, Mark. I got clients coming out of the woodwork. And then I do no one any good. And there's a really good chance that you might pick up that what he's saying and what I'm picking up. There's a disconnect there. I'm not sure what it is. You may not be able to divine it. But as soon as you get that disconnect, it creates distrust. Well, with the wedding, uh, he did something smart because he brought the the crowd. Uh, the attendees are on his side. They're rooting for him finally, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I like it. Now, that's a little different than if he said, I've been up all night. I had explosive diarrhea and my wife cheated <laughs> on me and she yeah. served me divorce papers. Like, oh, okay, maybe his head's not going to be in it. But I, I like what he did there. Yeah, Brilliant. So, Mark, my uh, worldview is that uh, earlier on, we have big things that we need to overcome that are glaring us in the face. That might be scary as hell and we get a coach or we do it ourselves and we overcome them. But as we progress in our careers – and our happiness, those blocks become more subtle. So, A, how do you find your blocks? And could you share a recent one where it's like, oh, I noticed, da-da-da, and this is what I'm doing to overcome it? Mm, good question. I mean, one way for identifying blocks for me is journaling. I'm a big journaler. I've been nice. doing it for years. I miss very few days. Sometimes when I just start writing, uh, something comes out, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that's something where it's a block. Uh, so perfect example, you know, being authentic, because so, we're being authentic. Um, I found with social media a few years back, you know, everyone's shit. It looks like they have the perfect life, right? They're every day. They're mm-hmm. making, Absolutely. Making a, million, making a million bucks a day. And, uh, you know, they uh, have the perfect uh, uh, wife or husband and just everything's going swimmingly well. And this isn't something that I would like um, when I would see posts come up where I'd be breaking stuff and or, or, or whatever. But I had a little bit of something with some people. I'm like, oh, God, look at this braggart again. Like, you know, or like, oh, yeah, right. He's full of it. You know, I know he didn't make $122,000 this week for whatever. Um, that that was a, a not good for me because anything that you resent, you're going to chase away. And that's not helping me bring in more money. At the time, I was single too. I'm with a great girl now. We've been together for a year. Love each other very much. As and you're moving. Yeah, I'm moving we- for love. Yeah, right now in the process of it. So she's good moving enough. Moving together or closer? Together. Yeah, together. We basically nice. have been living together for the last uh, year. Some, some sweat breakout on your forehead? Yeah. I'm oh, going to propose to her here on your show. I, uh, I have the ring. Uh, no. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. So, but at the time I was single, I had times, I forget what this was, probably two years into my business, maybe three, that I saw these posts and, and it, my business wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I'm like, um, it, that, that was me projecting and, you know, know and feeling that so end up saying no this isn't cool so the practice i use to change it around and i do this almost every single day if someone shares a win on social media like a facebook friend something like that uh, or if i'm on their email list i'll often send a message uh, back to them uh hey umar i noticed that you just got named as one of baltimore's top coaches in whatever magazine that's really cool congrats i just want to say you know and it's something like that and then the people get back to me and it forms of good friendships i'm like okay this person isn't an asshole or she's not the b word they're actually very nice right? And mm-hmm. I feel better about it too. So I, I recommend not uh, laying the green eyed monster out of the cave like that, but flip it around and, and bless people uh, that are doing that. Absolutely. Same, yeah, same goes for paying bills, by the way. And I'm not the first person to suggest this, but whenever I pay bills, 
I don't look at it. Oh God, I got to pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the power bill now. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I'm like looking at it as a good thing. Hey, I'm uh, doing well enough that I could pay this quickly. And, you know, if I'm paying a bill, let's say you're providing a service to me. Omar did a great job. This is going to help him, you know, with, with, with his life and with his bills and stuff. And I'm looking at that as a good thing. And I think that's a better way to handle it. Absolutely. And, uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the program. And we're going to put all your uh, links on the show notes. But why don't you kind of uh, share one last piece of wisdom and any uh, connection things verbally. So if someone's listening to this, they still get the information. Well, I'll share some wisdom because uh, this is what I was doing just before. Don't come I on in our show. Other than yeah. that, what are you yeah. sharing? Um so, so uh, I've been procrastinating, putting off, uh, redoing. I, I launched a program a few years ago for Facebook groups, and it's getting a little bit stale, right? A lot's changed in Facebook a few years. My group's a lot bigger. However, I could not get this darn program updated because there's always something else on the front burner. Uh, I woke up this morning. I said, you know what? I'm just going to get going with the revamp, the new videos for it. And I just spent a couple hours before I hopped on here doing it. Uh, the wisdom from that is don't overthink things. Don't feel like you have to have a script. Everything works out i literally just hopped on top bang record a video it's in the can record now i'll have to do quick edits and stuff of course uh to do that but i feel much better like coming on here if i was still pushing off it would be in the back of my mind so i share that because that was something happening today don't overthink things you'll feel much better taking action instead of stewing and ruminating and thinking about stuff and so uh how can people get a hold of you uh, well, the Facebook group, which we talked about, that's .coachingjungle.com. A lot going in there. So we'd love to see people. My podcast, I'm going to join myself. Good. Yeah. Come on over. Swing on in. Uh, the My podcast is called Natural Born Coaches. I've released about 700 episodes and almost any topic imaginable for coaches. That's at naturalborncoaches.com. And I have a hard copy uh, print newsletter for coaches called Secret Coach Club. And that's at secretcoachclub.com. Superb. Uh and uh, dear listeners, I believe in the power of sucking. So freaking execute. You can always make it better. But if you wait for perfection, it's never going to happen. Mark, it was a joy having you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out. Thanks for the invite. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results. 